unidentifiable flying object. UFO continues to be a mystery. Wasn't alone in space. Fighting the UFO. Something out there. Close enough to be observed. What could it be? It can only be one thing. A UFO. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of UFO No, the show that separates science fact from science fiction the best that we can. How are you? You look good. You look good. Good to see you. Good to see you all. So glad you came along for another wonderful journey into UFO No. I got a good one for you today. We're traveling to Bridgeport, Connecticut, mid-1970s. We're going to talk about a family in their tiny house, and it is one of the best documented cases of paranormal poltergeist activity, possibly of all time. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why the fuck are you going to talk about poltergeist? This is UFO. No, I know. But if you've listened to the show before, which once again, thank you, you know that I believe it's all connected. It's all connected. We've talked about paranormal shit before, Bigfoot, all that stuff. I believe it's all connected. So, anyways, poltergeist or not, and I'm going to really tie it together. It's going to be great. This one's going to go deep dive into one case specifically, but I think it ties everything together really nicely. Uh, but it took place over years, which is great. So, there's a lot of uh, ex- you know experienced things that went on. It's twists and turns. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm so excited. Uh, anyways. If you want to help support the show, share, share, share. Sharing is caring. Just take this wherever you're listening to it. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening on pretty much any platform, we're on all of it, all of it. Uh, you can leave a review. Spotify now, you can just do five stars. Put it up there, five stars. Thank you very much. iTunes, all that stuff. If you can leave a review, please do that. It helps the show so much, and I appreciate it. Um as well as now we got merch, baby. We got merch. So now you can go to ufonopodcast.creator.spring.com, I think is what it is. Uh, link is going to be in the show notes. You can buy merch for the show. I got all kinds of stuff up there. Cosmic blue ball shirt. Just got two big planets, one swollen. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've got a shirt up there. Don't forget about Blind Mike, everybody. We're still trying to get him back. Get Blind Mike before he's analprobe.com. And we got a shirt with his angry face on it that you can get. Um, so go to there, buy merch. You can also go to uh, patreon.com slash UFO podcast, support the show. One dollar, that's all it takes. Buy my loyalty, one buck. I'm super cheap, y'all. And uh, you get ad-free experience. I don't put any of the uh, ads in there. I mean, you get all this shit. But I had some commercials in the middle. You don't get any of that. Uh, so Patreon, love ya. Uh, Aaron Rice, thank you so much for signing up. I got one, everybody, just one, but you could be number two. Go do it right now. Uh, once again, thank you all. I cannot thank you enough. It means a lot to me. Uh, I love it every time one of you hits me up. It's fantastic. I want to have a great conversation. I'm, I really want to start getting people on the show because I want to hear what you have to say and what you think. Um, so 208-790-8226, text that number. I want to believe I'll get back to you as well as you can hit us up on the Instagrams at UFO No Podcast. Pretty much everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. We're all over the place. But 
as well as, hey, you also want to help support us in other ways is go buy ClarksonCBDCo.com, use promo code UFONO, and you save 10% on the entire site. It's great CBD stuff. We put together a phenomenal blend of products on there, phenomenal stuff. You got aches and pains, go try CBD, ClarksonCBDCo.com, uh, as well as Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company. If you're a Washington resident and you love cannabis, you smoke it a weed, you got to go try Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company. I'm telling you, it is great stuff. Balance. That's what's missing in weed today is balance. It's all just hyper sensitive. People are getting anxiety from it. It's shit. Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company is not Washington State residents only, unfortunately. But uh, ask your local Washington retailer if they've got it. If they don't get a hold of me, I'll make sure they get it. Uh, otherwise, let's get on with the show, everybody. All right. Here's the deal. So this was actually in a book originally described by William J. Hall as the world's most haunted house. Now, keep in mind, this was, once again, it took place over years. Um, it was witnessed by multiple, multiple people. I mean, we're talking dozens of people, including police officers, fire department, uh, reporters, at least one reporter, as well as crowds outside. It was a lot. There was a lot going on. Um so in his book, William J. Hall, uh, once again, The World's Most Haunted House, also the name of the book, uh, he actually approached the case as a complete skeptic and believing it was a total hoax, and which is actually a twist towards the middle, so to stay tuned. But when he reinvestigated everything again in 2013, because uh, mind you, this took place in the mid-70s, uh, in 2013, he found evidence that actually convinced him otherwise, convinced him that this was not a hoax, that this was a legitimate um, poltergeist deal. So here's a quick backstory for you. Okay, Jerry and Laura Gooden, that's the family. Their son was born with cerebral palsy, terrible, died in 1967. The following year in 1968, they adopted Marcia, who was a Native American child from Canada um, and Several years after she arrived, coincidentally or not, is when all this shit started going down. Well, according to Bill Hall, uh, these particular events started happening very soon after Mercia was adopted in 1968 when stuff around the house started showing up, quote, out of place. And in 1969, Marcia was on the couch with her friend Rosemary when all of a sudden it started to shake and lift off the floor. And that was just the the very, very tippy tip of the iceberg of what all went down here. But keep in mind, she was adopted. Okay? Plays a part. When doesn't it? Think about all those horror movies. What's that one? The Orphan? Where the the it, it actually turns out to be some 30-year-old midget woman. You remember that? Remember that? The one it's the dark haired chick on the uh on the cover. Remember it's like some some uh some dwarf 30-year-old woman who crazily is able to pass for a 12-year-old girl, 10 12-year-old girl and just torments this family. If I'm not mistaken, she like tries to kill him. Anyways, go check it out. The Orphan, I think is what it was. So another time, Rosemary found Marcia, Rosemary being the friend of Marcia was sitting on the floor rocking back and forth with her eyes closed, talking softly in a strange language. Rosemary asked her what was going on, what she was doing, 
And Marcia replied that she was talking to her deceased grandfather, her dead grandpa, uh, a respected chief on the reservation, saying he was extremely happy or unhappy, extremely unhappy that she had been adopted. Now, I add in that she was adopted by these white people. I don't know. Maybe he was racist. I have no idea. Was it paranormal or was it racism? We're going to find out. But uh, anyway, super weird. She's communicating with her dead grandpa. Apparently in 1971, the Goodens start hearing this strange rhythmic booming sound that seemed to be coming from the house, like all around them. Um, At first, they just pretty much tried to ignore it, hoping it would stop. For the time, it did. It was sporadic. But in 1972, November, they started to hear it again, and Jerry described it like the house was being stoned. Now, look, I am a consumer of the freeform herbal jazz. They're not talking about the house getting stoned, being stoned, like having rocks thrown at it. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the biblical days of stoning or even what goes down in like uh, third world countries, people get stoned, they throw rocks. So it sounded like the house was being hit by rocks, not getting stony baloney. In fact, it got so bad that the Goodens reported it to the local police, um, but the way they say is it wasn't out of fear, even though that would freak me out. I'm telling you right now, I one time went to go close, close the garage door and I closed it and then turned around and the door like popped, but it almost sounded like somebody knocked on it, scared the shit out of me, shit my pants legitimately, had to wash them out in the sink. Crazy. But this, here they got the whole house is knocking and they're like, meh, it's annoying. We're going to call the cops because it's it's super obnoxious. So they thought it was a prank by these uh, punk-ass bitches. And uh, also, Jerry thought that construction at uh, a hospital that was nearby, St. Vincent's Hospital, that happened to be building an extension, uh, that it could be construction from that. However, due to the fact that the knocking was all around the house, uh, it didn't seem likely. So... As well as Jerry also said there was a definitive pattern to the sounds and that they occurred, once again, all hours of the day and night, all the time. Can't be construction. Can't be punk-ass bitches. Got to be something else. So the Goodens approached their neighbor, John Hallsworth, who was also a police officer, convenient, but maybe also not so convenient, depending on how you look at the caps. Me, I'm the purveyor of the devil's lettuce, so i not... That would make me nervous. Uh, anyways, he was a police officer with Bridgeport Police Department. He suggested that they attempt to record these banging sounds on tape so they could uh, have them listened to. So they did. And even after capturing the noises, moving around the house and even in different rooms, nobody could pinpoint where the strange sounds were actually coming from. And so these city officials, the uh, the police department, and the fire department, no reason, no source uh, could be found for the noises. As it says, no source of the noises could be established. So fast forward to summer 1974, 
things got really freaky when Jerry and Laura thought they saw a disembodied hand at their window. When they went to see who was there, nothing was there. Several weeks later, three very loud knocks on the front door. Once again, nobody there. Instead, wet footprints where a a person might have stood. Funny thing, no rain or dampness anywhere. Clear skies. Now, these types of things continued. Furniture moving on its own, doors opening and closing by themselves, and of course, the strange and persistent noises. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, okay? When did this start? 1968. No, I'm sorry. That's when they adopted Marcia, who started all this shit, by the way. No, in 1969 is when all this shit started to happen. So they're already, they're already five years in, five years into dealing with this shit. Now, it's sporadic. Uh, based on the reports here, that there's a few incidents, a handful of incidents in the five years. But that would freak me out. I mean, look, I, I I can't even count a handful of paranormal things that have happened to me in my entire life, let alone five years. So I don't know. I don't know if I would stick it out that long. I don't know if I'd stick it out that long. All right. Uh, so they saw a disembodied hand. They go out, they see nothing, they see wet footprints, nothing there, no rain. So it continues. Once again, furniture is flying around on its own, doors are opening, consistent, strange noises. Now, just before Thanksgiving 1974, things got even crazier when the Goodens, I love how their name is the Goodens, by the way. Like, they're just so good. They were named the Goodens. They were eating dinner with the wife and the daughter of their police neighbor, John Hallsworth, named Jamie and Janet. Hi, I'm Jamie. Hi, I'm Janet. Suddenly, the sound of breaking glass came from one of the bedrooms, causing everyone to jump up and investigate. They left their spaghetti! They discovered the window was broken, but it was shattered from the inside. The next night, after eating dinner and going over last-minute details for a planned trip... The following day to see Jerry's cousin, the family was watching TV in the living room when a cacophony of sound came from the bedroom. They found that the curtains on the floor and the window shade, uh, uh, the curtains were on the floor and the window shade was rolled up. Now, once again, okay, now once again, right before Thanksgiving, you have window breaking. The next day, You have the cacophony of sound involving curtains and a window shade. Two days in a row, shit's going down. I'm telling you, I'd be the fuck out of that house. These people are champions. So, Laura puts the curtains back up, the window shade back down, goes to leave the room. Before she can even step out the door, the curtains fall again, the window shades roll back up. Now, mind you, these are those old school window shades that, you know, you pull down and then when you put them back up, they're like, you know, that was a terrible sound. Anyways, but it was that, the window shade deal. This time, they said, fuck it. Went to the, and just went to the living room, hoping if they ignored it, it'd go away. Now, look, I can, I, I, I guess, I guess 
that if you really don't believe in this shit, which, mind you, I don't necessarily believe that it's one thing or the other, but I do believe these things happen, it would still scare the fucking shit out of me. Like, there's no way I could just go back in my living room and just chill out watching TV knowing there's something fucking around with my shades, shattering windows. There's no way. So, I mean, the the amount, the degree of denial that takes place through this is astounding to me. So once again, they're ignoring it. Moments later, what they describe as a maddening knocking permeates the entire house, getting louder and louder, seeming to come from the walls themselves, they say. And then all of a sudden it stops. And then... It stops all night. They get a peaceful night's rest. Nothing happens all night. The next day, they go on their family trip. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. They had a great picnic. Mom made sandwiches. Everything was crisp and wonderful. Breezes. Whatever you want to think of. Whatever their trip was. It doesn't say. They just went on a family trip. They get home around 4.30 p.m. And Marcia finds her bedroom tv lying on her bed and normally it was on her dresser confused of course jerry puts the tv back the way it should be and headed in the kitchen i i you know the reports on this are hilarious because it, it kind of puts in my mind the idea that he just kind of shrugs this off like oh look the tv's on the bed oh well i'm gonna go make a sandwich Heads to the kitchen. As he walked back into the kitchen, he sees dishes rising out of the sink and flying around the room. And get this, gang. Then, one by one, they smash to the floor, and then a set of knives lifts themselves from a knife block and flies across the kitchen, causing Jerry to have to duck down to the floor. And this whole time, Laura's watching from the doorway. Secretly, Laura's conjuring. She's like, uh, expialidocious. Wait, what's the, what's the Harry Potter thing? Um, expelliarmus, bitch. Isn't that it? Isn't that the line from Harry Potter? Doesn't he be like, expelliarmus, bitch? And then, like, something happens to a troll? I think Laura's doing it. Anyways, then... Things quiet down again. Hoping things would settle down in general. The couldn'ts. I said that weird. The couldn'ts. The goodens go about their business. <laughs> oh, man. After, after getting haunted knives hurled at Jerry, everybody just is like, nah, well, what are we going to do? What do, you, what do you do? Haunted knives. What do you do? Whatever. So Laura goes to put away the groceries that apparently they had got on the way there and then, you know, having to avoid uh, paranormal homicide, got a little distracted. So she goes to the groceries, goes to put them away. She hears something behind her, turns around to see what it was, and she sees the table lifting off the floor as if it was being lifted from one side by a pair of invisible hands is the way they describe it. She describes it. 
rising higher until it flips over, sending groceries flying all across the kitchen. God, what a misogynist dick fuck of a ghost. Huh? Like, bitch, pick that up. What a terrible, terrible ghostly anomaly to have some misogynist dick. You're here where you belong. Now pick up my shit. Laura was stunned. Watching the table hit the floor. All of a sudden, the refrigerator rose from the floor, moved slightly, then dropped back down. And then the TV topples over and lands on Laura's toes. I, the line, I would have drawn the line so far before toes, TV landing on my toes. It's not even funny. I'd be a hundred yards behind Laura's toes being smashed by a TV, getting the fuck out of that house. There's no way. There's no way I'd stay that long. Through sporadic moments. For the rest of the evening. Mind mind you, that means that there were things happening throughout the night. Whether it be little things. Could you sit there? I want to know. Either put in the comments, email me, text me, something. Tell me. What what would you stay there in that house while all that shit was going down? And it's happening, continuing to happen sporadically throughout the night. Including... Kitchen tables flipping, another one, okay, the same table flipping, while the family is in the living room watching TV. When the family's getting ready for bed, Marcia's TV falls over again, so she just scampers off back in the living room. Like, ah, my TV, it's being a douche. Shortly after, Marcia went to use the bathroom when Jerry and Laura heard her screaming. They run into the room or into the bathroom to find her guarding her face huddled in a corner because there were items flying all around the bathroom, flying, flying all around the bathroom, like mascara, just flying around the room. By th- at 3 a.m., things finally calmed down and the family went to bed. I'd be the fuck out of there. Why stay? What is the what is the deal? What is the deal? They must love this house. They must love this house. This family, the Goodens, hardcore. It's clearly not. It's clearly not anything. These items move on. That mascara has been floating for years. The next day, Jerry got up to make breakfast and found that the table, oh, imagine it had flipped over again. And the refrigerator had moved again. It was now blocking the kitchen door. Jesus Christ. Crazy. He went to tell his wife what happened, but before he could say anything, a crucifix and picture on their bedroom wall flung themselves to the floor as if a pair of invisible hands had ripped them away. Done. That's another one that I wouldn't have experienced because I would have been out of there, uh, you know, in 1969. Five years prior, done, gone. I would have been, you know, being haunted in some other house. Before they could react, a loud bang came from uh, or throughout the house. 
coming from Marcia's bedroom. When they went to the bedroom, they saw that the wooden dresser had tipped over, fallen over, really close to where Marcia had been sleeping. Again, before they could even react to that, they heard another crashing in the living room. They ran into the living room, found that all three chairs were moving around on their own, up and down and back and forth. On top of that, the entire time, the sound of the doorbell is coming from their TV. Fuck that. Fuck that. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Yeah, not happening. So deciding that things weren't going to get better, clearly, clearly, Jesus Christ. In fact, they were getting worse. They left the house and went over to the neighbors, Harold and Mary Hoffman. Oh, they sound wonderful. But they weren't home. So the Goodens are waiting on the porch, standing there when Laura suddenly starts screaming. And when Jerry turns to see what's happening, this couch on the porch that Laura and Marcia are sitting on is hovering four feet in the air. And it hovers there for several moments before crashing down. Janet Holsworth, one of the other neighbors from before, happened to see what happened. Remember, that was Janet and Jamie that came over for dinner. Happened to see what happened. Happened to see what happened. That's great. That's great. Good writing, Ben. Jerry asked... (laughs) Jerry asked her to go and get her dad, and as soon as he came over, Jerry turned to him and said, there is some kind of evil force inside wrecking our home. I can't believe it took them that long to come up with that conclusion. A little after 10 a.m., so about a half an hour later, Sunday morning officer Carl Leonzi and officer Joe Tomek arrived at the Goodens' home. Their first thought, was that the Goodens had been burgled. That was until Tomek saw the TV floating in midair. Shortly after that, two more police officers show up. Officers George Wilson and... Leroy Dragons! Actually, it was Leroy Lawson, (laughs) but I had to. Leroy, uh, anyways, as the four police officers briefed each other on what was going on, they all saw the refrigerator rise up and then lower back down on the floor, clearly on its own. Although the officers were still somewhat skeptical of what was taking place, they were starting to wonder... If it was something paranormal, obviously. As Tomek was making a report of the incident, you heard a loud crash from Marcia's bedroom, which was empty at the time. She wasn't there. When the officers looked to see what was happening, they saw the heavy-duty drawers from the dresser had tipped forward. Before they could react, they saw a wooden cross flying off the wall, hitting... What am I? Oh, I lost my place. I lost my place. God damn it. (laughs) It flying across the wall, hitting Officer Lawson in the chest. 
After that, he immediately left and refused to go back. I mean, I, I can't blame him. If I got hit in the chest with a cross, uh, I'm not a religious guy, but I would take something out of that. I'd read some. I'd read into that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The police requested the fire service. So Fireman Jack Messina came out. And during his time at the house, he also saw the TV get thrown to the floor completely by itself. Something about TVs. Something about TVs. Now, look, I tie it all together. Energy. But let's continue on before I go too deep into that because I go into that later. By now, the house was full of people. All of them had witnessed some kind of craziness. One of the firemen contacted Father Doyle, Father Doyle, informing him of the poltergeist-like activity. Now, during this time, the furniture and various household items are continuing to move about their own. And then all of a sudden, Laura screams out to everybody, clearly having enough. Evil spirits are trying to kill us! Father Doyle. After looking around and getting the details of what had been taking place, said, there is an evil spirit in this place. That was a terrible, terrible impression of Father Doyle. He doesn't sound like that at all. He was preparing to perform a blessing, arranging rosemary beads or rosary beads, not rosemary, rosary beads, holy water, and a small Bible. And after placing the holy water on a table, it tipped over. That would that would scare me. As and now, as a priest and a religious guy, what do you read into that? I don't know, like what priest, you know, what 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 does that mean? Is that like uh, is that the equivalent of like at a date? If you say something bad to your date, the 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 date splashes like throws water in your face is that the same thing i tipped over your holy water you fuck like the demon saying that is that is that what's happening anyways tipped over he repositioned the holy water again and again it tipped over before he even had a chance to grab it father Doyle said a prayer and contacted a fellow priest one experienced in exorcisms Everyone was at the house now. Paramedic to work on Laura's foot. The police. Jerry's brother, Edmund. They call him Mund for short. <laughs> Instead of Ed. Oh, stupid. Along with the Goodens family. So the house was full. Things got really weird when Edmund, or Mund for short, claimed that he heard one of the police officers say he heard a voice coming from the cat. Okay? Did you hear me? Coming from the family cat. You heard a voice. Coming from the family cat. He cries out, It's coming from the cat! I heard it say! Meow. Meow, 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 meow. Meow, 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 meow. He actually says that he heard it say bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Now, look, I thought about this. And, and, and I, 
Of course, I'm a skeptic. And if you say you hear talking cats, I'm not going to think paranormal. I'm going to think you're a Fruit Loop. So I'm thinking, all right, in what world could a cat make the sound bye-bye? Well, cats make all kinds of weird noises, all right? And if if you're in a heightened sense of paranoia, you got a cat next to you that's like, eh, you know, bye-bye. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, to me, that's... So once again, meow, 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 meow. What a dumbass! The police officer went outside to speak with his superior officer and refused to go back inside because of the talking cat. Connecticut's finest. Wow, wow, crazy man, crazy. That that kind of blew my mind. That one right there. I mean, I really pussy. I really was like, what? Anyways, after the morning of floating refrigerators, flying cruise fixes, falling TVs, and meow, 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 the cat, meow, 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 of course, Mund offered to take Marcia out for lunch to get her out of the house for a bit. I don't blame him, man. Get the kid out of there. Jesus, talking cats. One of the neighbors, Mary Pascarella who happened to be a member of the Psychic Research Center, <gasps> what a coinkydink, learned of what was going on at the Goodens, contacted paranormal researchers Ed and Lorraine Warren, giving her the rundown, or giving them the rundown, of what was taking place at the house on Lindley Street. They agreed to check it out, also contacting another priest, Father Charbonneau, requesting he came along as well. Ed arrived first and introduced himself to Jerry Gooden, saying that he had experience, had experience in the paranormal. Uh, he interviewed with the police and others who had been at the house that morning, getting a very clear picture of what had been seen and experienced. And after meeting with everyone involved, he left, promising to return with his wife and father, Charbonneau. I just love that name. Charbonneau along with a young seminary student with an intense interest in the paranormal, Paulino. I like this guy. I like this guy. Mostly because he got a sweet name. Eno, that's a great name. By the time they all came back, a small crowd had gathered outside. Now, before they go into the house, Ed pulls Paul aside, away from everybody, and asks him to stay close to Marcia, And he says, it's common in hoax cases for the child to be the perpetrator. Okay? Keep that in mind. It turned out he was partly right. So later in the afternoon, Marcia was sitting and talking to the police officers when when the chair she was in rose into the air, hovering for several moments before it completely flipped sending Marcia to the floor along with the chair. When the officers went to put the chair back, it took all the effort of two of them to get it back down on the floor. Now, this was my first hint that this was something not paranormal, but energy-related, so like magnetic energy. Think about that, okay? There's some strange entity or force that's there that's blocking that chair from getting down to the ground. Uh, to me, that's not paranormal. There are natural causes for that. There's there's incredible magnetic energy in the earth. So to me, that 
that resistance to putting the chair on the ground, that kind of cued me into possibly being energy related. So anyways, just a little clue as to what I'm thinking. Trying to investigate any angle to this, the police contacted electrical. So see, they were going along the same lines thinking it was electric, uh, electrically uh, related, electric related, energy related. Jesus, fuck. The police contacted electric and plumbing inspectors to see if they could uh, come up with any explanations as to what was going on. But there was nothing. Apparently, when the plumbers and electricians left, they were told by police to keep their mouths shut about what they saw and that it was a police matter. So... Trying to investigate. Oh, I already went over that. And by the mid-afternoon, things settled down and the police left. Not able to offer any explanation as to any of the craziness that was taking place. And everything they saw seemed legit. They told the family to report any other activity. But so far, it appeared that there wasn't much they could do. So by this point, the Gathering crowds outside were more than 2,000 people, including TV and radio reporters, but no one was allowed inside. Smart. I wouldn't either. Rumors and hearsay about what was going on inside the house started to spread, and in just a day, the Goodens' home became the most popular attraction in Connecticut and soon the country. The police even had to set up barriers and stand guard outside for crowd control. Occasionally, the crowd would witness statues outside moving on their own. Now, first of all, that's some serious white privilege right there. I'm going to call it out. I'm going to call it out. White privilege? You got fucking statues outside? You got statues outside? Who the fuck do you think you are, Goodens? Who the fuck do you think you are? No no wonder Papa Marcia, Marcia's grandpa, dead grandpa, native guy is pissed. Because the white privilege is running rampant at the Gooden house. Fuck those guys and their statues. Anyways. The crowd sees statues moving on their own. And some of them even claim to hear demonic voices coming from the house itself. That is mass hysteria and paranoia right there. That is mass hysteria and paranoia, in my opinion. Think about it. You have a bunch of people that are all wanting to see something. They're wanting to see something. Willing it into existence, if you will. On top of that, they're paranoid about what's going on. They they know there's something going on here. Talk about a placebo effect. I mean, you're convincing you. They're so that is the a highly susceptible situation to a placebo experience. Convincing yourself you're having an experience. In my opinion, I I, I yeah. Anyways, either way, it's going to keep people there. Either way, whether they're convincing themselves they're seeing something or they are legitimately seeing something. Either way, it's going to keep them there. So, when the Warrens, Father Charbonneau, Paul Eno, Paul Eno, love that name, returned to the house, it was chaos. Ed instructed the family to leave anything that was moved where it was so they could see for themselves what had happened. So, they did. 
And like I said, it was absolute chaos. Even while they were interviewing the family, in real time, strange things were happening around them, including the curtain rails falling down, even the lights all going out for several minutes throughout the entire house. Once again, energy. About an hour after they got there, a little after 9 a.m., the family and the investigators are all sitting at the kitchen table talking about what was going on that day when Paulino noticed that a second-degree burn was forming on Lorraine Warren's arm right in front of his eyes. At the same time, Paul noticed a smell of sulfur. Now, sulfur is interesting because not only is it very common in other paranormal accounts, but it is also very common in UFO and alien encounters. I want to take just a moment to talk about CBD. CBD works as a very powerful anti-inflammatory. And I'm sure a lot of you have met someone who's used it or know a family member who's using CBD to relieve pain, anxiety. And the truth is, it does all of those things. Helps relieve pain, reduce and prevent inflammation, as well as relieving anxiety and stress on top of improving quality of life. So if you're looking to try CBD for the first time or get into something new and you want some answers, Clarkston CBD Company is where you want to go. Little plates I help manage uh, as well as educate people as to the benefits and products that can work for them. Check us out online, ClarkstonCBDCo.com. Shop online, reach out on Facebook, Clarkston CBD Company. If you're a podcast junkie like me, you've probably thought about starting your own. Well, I can tell you firsthand that starting my podcast has been one of the most fun decisions I've ever made, but it can feel overwhelming if you don't know how to get started. That's where Buzzsprout comes in. Buzzsprout is the easiest and best way to start a professional podcast. In fact, it's so good they've already helped over 100,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout will get your podcast into every major podcasting platform like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. You also get a great looking podcasting website, audio players so you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and the list goes on and on. Plus, Buzzsprout publishes new blog posts, podcast episodes, and YouTube videos every week so you can learn the ins and outs of podcasting from the people that eat, drink, and breathe it. To start your own podcast and get a $20 Amazon gift card, follow the link in the show notes. This lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, and it helps support our show. Buzzsprout, the easiest way to start a podcast. It's amazing that we live in a time that you can go and shop for cannabis like you do shoes. All kinds of different types and sizes for all types of different individuals. Well, if you're like me and you like a nice, balanced experience with no pesticides, clean, soil-grown craft cannabis, then you want to ask for Hell's Canning Cannabis Company in your local Washington retailer. The reason why is because they use true, live, organic soil recipes, custom-made per strain, per plant like Mother Nature intended. You can't get any better. So if you want craft cannabis with a balanced experience, 
ranging from strains like Jesus OG or Acapulco Gold or their own Hell's Cookies, then you want Hell's Canyon Cannabis Company. Ask for them in your local Washington retailer. And if they don't have it, tell them to talk to me and I'll make sure they get it. Back to the show. Therefore, in my opinion, providing evidence in a way that there is a connection between these two phenomena, paranormal and extraterrestrial. Once again, energy. Well, and I, it, I go a little deeper into this, but uh, even Paul, Paul, you know, this guy, he's on it too. He just doesn't know it yet. Some things to keep in mind about the sulfur smell. Even though, yes, this is commonly tied to supernatural. The truth is, in some cases, it's something very simple. Okay, in a lot of cases, think about this. You know, the uh, Ghost Hunter show was a great example of this. They would go in and find high energy readings coming off of uh, uh, panels. Uh, what do they call it? Electrical panels, things like that. They were causing weird electrical energy flows in the house that could change psychological states even, increasing paranoia, things like that. But then you also have shorts in like wires, high energy levels going on in wiring that heats up the plastic components behind things like outlet plates, right? And that can burn and heat up and that can create a smell like rotten eggs. So, all tying back to energy so whether it's energy surging through the wires where whether it's psychological energy paranormal energy it's all energy but anyways let's continue on dig further but i believe energy is a culprit so the craziness continues on throughout the morning and the afternoon and the investigators are starting to discuss the possibility of arranging an exorcism so as the family and the investigators are playing a game of monopoly during a break in the weird shit that was going on, a strange energy started to fill the room that was noticed by everyone. And this energy started to take shape. And the way they described it is it resembled a large cohesive cluster of smoky, yellowish, white, gauzy mist. That's a lot. But there's a movie called The Haunting of The Haunting, A Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, wait, maybe that's what they're talking about. Anyways, um, great movie, but there's this white gauzy mist that starts to form. Anyways, crazy stuff, um, but it was somewhat transparent, and it started to form the outline of four bodies. The strong, the strong sulfur smell started to return and come back, as well as a constant hum that could be heard by all. Once again, remember, energy, energy. All of a sudden, Jerry starts chanting a prayer in fluent Latin (laughs) and a voice that was clearly not his, like channeling. Apparently, in response to Jerry's chanting, these figures started to move around the room, almost as if an organized pack and we're following Jerry from room to room. So I guess he was moving around. They're moving around. He's chanting this Latin prayer. Marcia was standing near Paul Eno, clearly terrified. 
Uh, and one of the entities starts to approach her. So Paul stands in front of Marcia trying to block its path. Well, the way Paul describes it is he clearly felt the entity push against him, feeling the physicalness of the apparition, which that's crazy. Once again, in my opinion, that's not our apparition. That's an energy signature if it's physical. Okay? So he describes the entity as bird-like, so really light, thin. The entity managed to get around Eno, and Marcia was lifted in the air and thrown down to the floor. So after this, Paul asked everyone to go outside. And when they did this, of course, the crowd all of a sudden knew something was up because now everybody's outside and clearly shaken. After this, a cacophony of noise comes from the inside of the house. And Paul insists that the family stays outside while he contacts Ed and Lorraine Warren. So by the time the Warrens arrive, the shit was still hitting the fan. Two reporters from the local WNAB radio station convinced the Goodens to take a look around for themselves inside. And when they came in, they saw furniture moving around, a falling TV, and, as they describe, unnerving noises, which, what the fuck does that even mean? Unnerving noises. How undescriptive of you, WNAB radio station reporters, you dicks. They described it like walking on the set of a horror movie. So by this time, the police were getting tired of having to stand guard for crowd control, They had to do something to get these crowds to disperse. But they couldn't do this if everyone still believed that there was shit going down. So at the same time that all this is going on, the police are are rummaging or uh, uh, rustling around uh, getting impatient. Well, rumors start to spread amongst the police that officers have seen Marcia faking certain things like items or furniture moving around on their own, even mentioning that Laura had scalded or uh, had got her in trouble for doing this, calling it fooling around. So the Warrens and Paul Eno leave the Gooden house for the day, fully expecting to come back the next day to continue their investigation. However, in the wee hours Of the morning of November 26th, as officers are doing their check in the house, one of the officers sees Marcia fake the recliner chair she's sitting in, fling itself back. So basically, like she, I would imagine she flung herself back in the chair and then trying to make it out like it was paranormal. Again, Laura scolds her for it, calling it fooling around. However, it was something that one of the policemen, Officer Costello, saw for himself, and he decides he's going to go and, uh, oh, oh, that's right. He had another time where he noticed Marcia stretch her leg out and nudge the TV that made contact with Jerry, making Jerry think something was up. But before she could move her leg back, Costello, she realized Costello had seen her, and he went and told the other officers what was going on. And shortly after this, according to Officer Del Toro, Marcia confessed to faking everything at the house. 
everything. Now, eventually it came out that Marcia was only confessing to some of the more recent things. Some of the other things officer witnessed couldn't have been done by Marcia. Like, they saw flying shit. At least on their own. Or at least on her own. Marcia then implicated the Warrens in the hoax, saying she had seen Lorraine purposely scold herself under hot water to bring out the burn mark that Paul had seen. And that Ed Warren had called the press telling them what was going on and bringing them out, therefore adding to the crowds. Well, after all this coming out, it snowballed, helped, of course, by the police not wanting to be there in the first place, and it was enough for them to close the case as a complete hoax. And, of course, they wasted no time in making this a very, very public decision. Incidentally, that helped disperse the crowd. And of course, they recommended Marcia for counseling, which is good. She's a, she's a, you know, she was adopted anyways. You know, she needs to go to counseling, I'm sure. It would later come to light from the interviews with police officers involved that the police knew that something weird was going on, but they wanted to not make it out like it was anything but a hoax. To deter the crowds from showing up and take the pressure away from the family. The Warrens, as well as Paul Eno, found out about the confession, as well as the suspicions voiced by the police encouraging the hoax, uh, through radio reports later that morning. And according to the report, Marcia had confessed to being the one that had done the banging on the walls and the floor. She was responsible. She took responsibility for the furniture moving around, the high household items crashing to the floor, as well as the strange voices, even demonstrating how she did it. Ed called the Gooden family and was told that the family no longer needed their help. Paul Eno even drove out to talk to them in person and was told to leave and not come back. And like him and others involved, they knew what they had seen was not a hoax. Certainly not by a 10-year-old kid. Well, the police department issued a statement claiming that the incident was officially classified as a hoax and that there was no ghosts in Bridgeport. It reminds me of the movie Jaws when you have that shitty mayor that knows there's shark attacks happening in the water. There's sharks in the water, chief knows that there's sharks out there and decide tells them hey due to tourism we can't shut it down we're leaving them we're leaving them open well same type of thing you got bureaucrats that are saying there's nothing going on here uh, we don't want to we don't want to scare anybody there's no ghosts at bridgeport there's no sharks on the beach just when you thought it was safe to go back in the house individual police officers even offered statements to the media that the events were not genuine. The police officers that were there that clearly saw something went on the media and said that they that nothing was real. Imagine that, a blue shield. That never happens. Letting a 10-year-old girl and the folks trying to help be labeled as liars. Oi. But 
some officers did reject the uh, hoax theory. Officer Tamek, for instance, publicly stated he did see weird shit that could not have been done by the girl. Even though he didn't have an explanation for them, he seriously doubted the Goodens had caused these things to move and that they typically weren't even near the items when they moved on their own. Another, another officer said it wasn't just one or two things moving around. Many things were moving around all at once. Regardless, case was closed. They did leave a few small units around the house to control uh, the crowd, some of the hardcore crowd that didn't uh, decide to stay. For instance, or no, 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 the crowd stayed outside for several days even though the case was closed because some craziness continued. A little bit more sporadic, but still it continued to happen. For instance, they just got home from a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner when Jerry noticed the smell of smoke. He alerted one of the officers outside and they found a small fire at the back door. They put it out quickly, but it was obvious that the fire had been started on purpose. Arson! Eventually, they found three people who were arrested with the arson attack. But, either way, it showed them they were now targets. Not just from poltergeists and the spooky shit, but also from just uh, punk-ass bitches. Apparently, all it took was one attempted house fire to do away with all the shenanigans because by the time December rolled around, everything stopped. So they got a whole month almost. Well, about two weeks. By December 10th, the furniture, the TV, household items were flying around the house again. Seen by both Jerry and Laura, as well as police outside. Meaning, it clearly was not Marcia. Even though she was a creepy orphan. Every day after this, whenever they came home from going out, the house was completely ransacked. Now, for some reason, they got a dog. I don't know why they got a dog. Why would you get a dog and all this crazy shit going on? I mean, maybe because they got a dog because they wanted to, you know, the dog to help keep an eye on things, to alert them when shit was going on. I don't know. But either way, they brought a poor dog into the situation. And the reports say, well, the reports say they acquired the dog. It doesn't say they went and picked out a nice puppy for the family. It says they required a dog. Uh, whatever that so whatever that means but either way they got a dog and it constantly sent something wrong in the house pacing and barking and nothing they got back in touch with father doyle asking to attempt an exorcism and on december 16th the goodens got a call it was a poltergeist investigator from the american society for physical research named boyce Beatty. he claimed that he could help the family. But no one could know he was involved and it had to be kept out of the media. Key points. So Jerry agreed and Boyce Beatty planned to come out two days later. In the meantime, 
things got worse. But as promised, Boyce Beatty came out along with investigators from the Physical Research Foundation, Blue Harari, <laughs> that's the name, the two A's in that, Harari, and Jerry Sulfin. Now, before coming out, Beatty met with Ed Warren, disappointed not being involved anymore, but he briefed them on everything he knew of the case of what happened, what they saw, and what was going on. But this was something that Beatty decided to keep to himself. He did not tell the family that he had met previously. And I think this plays a part. They also talked to the police department, who were happy to help with the investigation, but quietly. Quietly. Keep that in mind. Okay, so the police gave him information. Ed Warren gave him information before he ever met with the family. This, of course, keeping all this quiet, the police wanted to, suited Bailey just fine. He wanted to keep everything out of the media anyways. So they go, they meet the house, they uh, uh, meet the family, and they investigate all throughout December and saw as much, if not more, of all the activity that was going on experienced by the Warrens and Paulino. After this time, Beatty claimed the Gooden's overbearing parenting style of Marcia was generating general unhappiness, saying that this parenting style, the unhappiness of everyone in general, had created a pathological environment that this ultimately set the stage for the poltergeist disturbances. Now, he got this from many poltergeist cases that highlight the child as the focus of unknown energies. Of course, negative energy can feed an environment. The idea of positive and negative vibes affecting a group, things like that. But there's no research or science that backs up Beatty's claims that bad parenting causes poltergeist activity. My opinion, he's a pedophile with a boner for little Marcia. I've got you, little girl. I'm here to save you. It's a power trip. It's a power play. So he's got a thing for little Marcia. Beatty also pointed out that the psychological change introduced into the home when someone new comes in or a room into the house or in a room, the constant coming and going of the police and investigators. Basically, he's saying the more people in the home could be making the situation worse. Muddying the waters, if you will. Keep in mind the fact that Beatty wanted no one else involved. He was already keeping information from the family by not sharing the fact that he met with the Warrens or the police I believe to convince the family that he had a strong intuition of what was going on in the situation as opposed to he had actual facts of the case. Remember, he called Jerry. So he wanted in. He's in it to claim it for himself. Hence, blaming the parenting, asserting control over the parents blaming the other people involved for cluttering the space, he's eliminating other perspectives. 
Manipulation at its finest. Mm. He's a pro. He's a pro. Now, of course, after booting everyone out, after a month of investigation, deems the situation a genuine poltergeist case with genuine paranormal psychokinetic effects. Despite the supposed expertise by Beatty, though, it didn't stop any of it from happening. Things continued till 1975 when things finally started to settle down. So by this point, the Goodens are done. They tried to sell their house. I Once again, I would not have made it to this point. But they 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 really dug in. So they attempted to sell their house to move. They were completely unsuccessful, and they ended up spending the rest of their lives there in that house, tortured by this. It never says things stopped completely. It simply says they settled down. So maybe they just came to terms with the fuckery. For a time, Marcia disappeared. Laura Gooden was killed in a car crash June 1993. Jerry passed away from natural causes 1997. At some point, Marcia went back to Canada after 1980. And nobody really knows what happened in that meantime. But uh, it is known she passed away from natural causes in 2015. At some point, though... She was asked how she had left things with her family, and she said she left home mad at them. Why was she mad at them? That's what I don't understand. Why was she mad at them? What did they do? Like, unless there's, like, abuse going on, did they not, like, adopt her, take her in, give her a home that she ended up bringing in bad energy and fucking around with her her weird, you know, freaky orphan energy does not seem that way that she totally ruined a a good family that had already went through severe loss maybe it was the cerebral palsy kid was pissed off that they got another kid and that's what it was maybe it was cerebral palsy energy that was coming through and trying to I mean mind you the, the dresser tried to fall on Marcia, picked her up, threw her down to the floor, got upset when her and Laura was sitting on the couch together. I I don't know. That feels like uh, cerebral palsy rage to me. Could be. Ed and Lorraine Warren were accused of manufacturing and exaggerating the events in order to make their money. What's funny is that uh, Bailey didn't, Bailey didn't, you know, once again, he went, swooped in, took credit, deemed it paranormal, snuck back out, hooked up with Marcy, I'm sure, sending in her, her to into spiral depression and denial, causing her to flee for Canada. In the defense of uh, the Warrens, They were experienced 
as paranormal investigators, apparently. And they never charged the Gooden family or any family that they helped investigate. The only way they made their money was from the written work they did in their public speaking. So the idea that they were that they took advantage to make money, uh, I don't think so. I mean, once again, I, I think this uh, Bailey guy manipulated the situation to, or Beatty, manipulated the situation to take control. Uh, once again, everything he came up with booted everyone else out of the situation, and nobody even knew he was there. Maybe he was hired by the cops to come in and disperse everything. Mm. Conspiracy. It is interesting, though, that the family was accused, or uh, I'm sorry, the couple, the Warrens, were accused in another case of exaggeration uh, a decade and a half later when they were investigating a haunting in Connecticut of Carmen and Al Schnedecker in 1986. Specifically uh, saying that they weren't concerned with solving the hauntings as much as promoting the crazier aspects of the situation. Ray Garten, who's someone who worked with Ed on this case, had said to him, uh, Ed had said to him, just use what works and make up the rest. Not good. Doesn't look good. It's hard to know for sure. It is, it is clear that the Warrens were certainly respected paranormal investigators and that the Lindley Street case definitely would have hurt their reputation. So it wouldn't surprise me that people, maybe it didn't go so good. Maybe there was fingers pointed. So somebody automatically said, well, I mean, they were accused of that. I'm sure they did the same thing again. Maybe. It's hard to tell once again. But even if the Warrens were in it for publicity, it doesn't mean they manipulated the events. You know, I mean, if if they were legitimate cases, they wouldn't have needed to hype it up. But who knows? Once again, who knows? A lot of these things, that's the problem with liars in this in this realm. Even with the UFO shit, you got people that are in it for a bench, have a na- have a town named after them, a holiday named after them in, in their local town. They do shit for dumb reasons, not for truth, not because it's the right thing to do all the time. So, unfortunately, but there's a lot of possibilities of what could have been really going on uh, in that little house on Lindley Street. It makes me think that we really have no idea, have no idea about, about what's happening around us. The fact that these these kind of things could be happening in your neighbor's house just several feet away. I mean, that easily, that could be happening. You have no idea. And so many, so many people experienced weird shit during this time, during the investigating times. Uh, even though several times Marcia did attempt to fake events, she was caught each time. That doesn't mean that she didn't get away with few. It just means that all the time she was caught, she was caught. It is convenient for the police to classify it as a hoax. Because, obviously, they were wanting things to go away. They said that Marcia was just trying to keep herself in the limelight. And the confession she gave gave them an out to disperse the crowd, which was a problem for the city. It's interesting because... (laughs) 
Paul Eno said he was stunned by the sheer amount of paranormal poltergeist-like activity that was taking place. And instead of finding a spiritual explanation like demons or um, distressed spirits, uh, he believed that the Lindley Street case what in his words he says might reach into the core of what reality is and our disconcerting place in it that our very existence might reside within a multiverse a reality where all possibilities and levels of consciousness exist and occasionally these levels of consciousness and different realms or dimensions of existence crash into each other and overlap For example, he brings up the mark appearing on Lorraine Warren's arm and that Marcia confessed to Lorraine causing this using the hot water. Eno believes it was genuine. He says he saw it. He was sitting at the kitchen table when Lorraine suddenly yelped, watched as a second-degree burn blister developed on her right hand, barely two feet away. And he says there was no heat source Also, the entire incident was captured on tape, and he can clearly be heard saying, there's a blister forming. Eno even said that the very first time he met Maria, she was in the cellar with a huge police officer who was trying to get her to admit that she was moving the objects around, suggesting pressure by the police to confess. Which is a real shitty tactic by police they use to solve cases without having to do their fucking jobs. So that's true. He also said he stood right next to Marcia on several occasions when heavy objects moved in other rooms. Many of these objects and pieces of furniture were so heavy he couldn't have even moved them himself. And remember, when they arrived, first arrived at the house, Ed Warren pulled Eno aside and told him to keep close tabs on Marcia. And even though, once again, it did happen a time or two that she tried to do something like push a lamp or push a TV over. And it was clear she wanted to see if there was anything dramatic that would happen. But as he said, any child would do that. But it didn't explain everything that took place. In his words, I believe these events were carried out by entities I can only describe as completely alien. His words, coming from a guy who was very interested in paranormal activity. Remember, he referenced the multiverse theory applying the theory to other paranormal cases. Starting with exorcisms in 1973 to 1975 and into the late 1970s, he found time displacements, people seeing ghosts of themselves, ghosts of people who were still alive, convincing him that the classical ideas about demons and dead people being behind the paranormal were not good enough. 100%. 
He started researching quantum mechanics during the 80s, considering the notion of multiple universes where there's a concrete reality of all possible outcomes. There might be different versions of ourselves. With the multiverse theory in mind, it's hard to accept the classic parapsychological explanation that Marcia was some agent who created a thought form or projected energy out. I don't think it's good enough to explain all of that what took place. I think it would have been more localized to just her. Instead, think of the multiversal or, or think of it like multiverse parasites. Her like farming energy. And because of either the negative energy coming from the family or a large amount of energy coming from the house, once again, could have been large amounts of energy circulating through the wiring, creating the sulfur smell. So regardless, whether it was the negative energy or the energy coming from the house or just a massive flood of energy from the general area, we don't know enough about the land to know if there was something going on. Maybe there were power lines running. I mean, there could have been, it could have just been a massive area of high concentrated energy. A lot of possibilities of what could have happened here. A lot. But energy is the common denominator of UFOs, aliens, and the paranormal. In my opinion. Everything always seems to center around some kind of energy. Eno said that you could feel these entities coming and going, especially before and after an attack or an event. He said all the recognition just gave them more energy. Once again, the energy of belief. The group of people all focusing on one thing, feeding energy into the event. Like that idea of Freddy Krueger, that belief gives him power. Believing in him gives him power to haunt your dreams, right? Energy. So what does this mean for paranormal cases? What does energy play or what part does energy play in paranormal? The concept of exorcisms, talked about exorcism potentially happening, they did a prayer, It involves a person's spiritual energy. This is exorcisms, mind you. This is is the concept of exorcisms. Is a person's spiritual energy, or a lack of, leaves them vulnerable to evil entities, resulting in demonic possession. The exorcism, the act of the exorcism, is the flood of positive spiritual energy concentrated on the individual, inflicted, with negative spiritual energy, pushing the negative energy out, replacing it with the positive energy. 
multiple times during the investigations, they noticed that the atmosphere in the home had changed or become heavy. Fear. Think of negative energy like a bad virus that attacks your immune system. Your positive energy, attacking your positive energy, leaving you weak, leaving you vulnerable. I believe this can be applied to your environment, your state of mind, all affected by energy, positive and negative. So what is the paranormal? An interesting thing to think about is why everything suddenly stopped. Why did all these uh, why the why the why the roller coaster ride of peaks and valleys of activity? Could it have been a more positive outlook? Hope depriving these strange forces the negative energy they need? Not to say that these things didn't happen because it seems like there's enough at least circumstantial evidence to say that there was a lot going on. But paranoia and heightened emotions do play a part in mistaken identity or overreactions, like with the crowd. Mass hysteria. They were they were they were anticipating an event. They were they believed that the event was occurred and then they saw this event. So was it a real event or was it conjured? Or was it paranoia? Did they think they saw something? And and what does this mean for other aspects of the paranormal? Once again, I'm a believer that a connection uh, between energy and apparitions and uh, it exists. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, there's once again common denominator, energy. All connected to energy. But let's not forget the key point here. The key point. Being that Marcia was adopted. Definitely an alien. For sure. 100% alien. Totally responsible for everything that happened. Done deal. Done deal. Solved. Case solved, everybody. Case solved. Done. This is what we do. This is what we do on UFO No. We get down to the facts. Get down to the facts. Hey, everybody. Thank you once again for joining the show. And hey, again, if you want to help spread the show, grow the show, you can go to patreon.com slash UFO podcast. You can contribute $1, buys my loyalty, super cheap, as well as just share. Sharing is caring. Take the URL, spread it around. Leave a review anywhere you can, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to your favorite your favorite podcasts, please leave a review. And uh, you could go buy merch. Go to the merch shop. All the links will be in the show notes. Click that link. Go check out the merch. We even got a shirt for Blind Mike, bringing him back into the fold. Get him home. We got to get him, folks. We got to get him before he is violated. Got to get it back. Anyways, I love you all. Thank you again for the support. It has been a great time hanging out with you, and uh, I will see you again next week. Love you all. Bye-bye. Oh, and remember, watch out. Watch out for the government. They're shysty bastards. I'm sure they had something to do with this one, too. Bye, everybody. Bye.